0: Well, good morning, I'm uh, Pastor Josh, the one who's so cool, Uh, just in case you guys are curious about that. I didn't know Mylene was doing the kids minute until after she did it, and I did not know. In fact, if you believe me, that she was gonna say that at the end. Mylene, your check is in the mail wherever you are. (laughs) But uh, we're in Habakkuk chapter two this morning. The title of the message is Learning to Live by Faith. Learning to Live by Faith. We'll be in Habakkuk chapter two, one through four. And uh, if you're not sure where the book of Habakkuk is, uh, if you'll start in Matthew, I actually discovered that this past week, Um, and if you'll start in Matthew and work backwards, it's a whole lot easier from that point than going from Genesis. It'll take a long time to get there. But Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4 is where we'll be today. 2020 uh, has been a year, hasn't it? Anybody want to come up here and preach that sermon? 2020 has been a year. I can't count the number of times I've heard people say, man, I'm ready to put this one behind me. I'm ready just to hang this one up, find a new calendar, put it up on the wall and and just start fresh. And I get that. I get that. I've felt that way on a number of occasions. But the reality is you and I are not omniscient. And we don't know what's in those little boxes in August and October of 2021, do we? We don't know what's coming Next year. Imagine if somebody had have sat down with you last last New Year's Eve and said, um, "Hey, you're going to lose your job this coming year, or you're going to lose your spouse this coming year, or you're going to miss out on the internship that you were really hoping was going to propel you into." Um, The next season of life, or it's just as simple, you would be asked to stand six feet from every living soul around you and wear these little things, and I would be preaching to eyeballs this morning. No one, no one thought that 2020 would come with what it has. But if someone told you what you were going to be facing in the next 12 months, just the sheer weight of that knowledge would be crushing, wouldn't it? If you knew what you had to walk through, the highs and the lows, the mountains and the valleys, it would be so crushing mentally and emotionally that we would struggle to get out of bed in the morning because we knew it's Tuesday and today a certain thing is going to happen. But in the book of Habakkuk, that's exactly what God does. He reaches out to the prophet with a vision of the severe punishment that's coming to him and to his people, Judah, because of their sin and their rebellion against God. And the prophet staggers under the weight of what he hears. He staggers under the weight of the vision. In this short book, we're going to see several questions surface the primary issue that Habakkuk faces though is the problem of evil in the world the problem of evil in the world I did not pick this song well yes I did I picked this song in control there was one before it I didn't pick and I was noticing all the lyrics this morning that just tie right into what Habakkuk is wrestling with if God is really in charge then why doesn't he do something about all the evil and the injustice in the world and then on a personal level If he is in control, like we just sang, how can I believe in a loving and personal God who's going to allow bad things to happen to me? How can I believe in a God like that? This is an ancient book, over 2,500 years old. But I dare say in this room, even as socially distanced and cut down in capacity as we are, that someone in this room asked that question this week. God, how can I follow you? How can I believe in you when You're allowing me to go through these things. You are ordaining these things into my path. How can I deal with that? I had a lunch with a college student a couple of weeks ago before I'd even selected this passage. And perhaps that's where God planted this on my heart. But that student was talking about these very things, struggling, grappling with God and with the faith. This is an ancient book, but these are not ancient questions, are they? The fact is we still wrestle with them today. The interesting thing is the name Habakkuk in the Hebrew actually means to embrace or to wrestle. I don't think that's an accident. This book is about one man's wrestling with God over why certain things happen in this world that we don't understand. The key, key verse in 2-4 is, but the righteous shall live by faith. And you need to understand before we ever go anywhere, if you miss everything else I say, you need to grab a hold of that verse. If you forget everything I say, remember what God has said. Those who are righteous, righteous in Christ by faith, that's how you live, by faith. A few weeks back, I had a different student, a new student, we're out on a hike. I'd never met this student before. And she asks me in the course of the conversation, maybe a minute or two into the conversation, she says, have you ever had doubts about your faith? (laughs) I thought, do you start every conversation with strangers like that? (laughs) But I love the honesty in that question. I told that student, I love the honesty in your question. There's a difference, between doubt and unbelief. And you need to understand that there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubting means we're asking hard questions, but we are still continuing to grapple with God. We've not turned our back on him. We've not abandoned him. We're wrestling with things that we don't understand. See, Job... See Paul, see Peter about Paul. (laughs) Unbelief though is abandoning or rebelling against God. It's when you say, I don't understand. And because my center of the universe intellect doesn't understand your ways, even though they're higher than mine, I can't handle this. I'm turning my back on you, God, and I'm gonna figure it out for myself. Wrestling with hard questions is a part of living by faith, and we need to understand that. Let me give you a little background as we go through these few verses in Habakkuk so you understand what's happening in the context of this. Around 600 BC, this is 600 years or so before Jesus, King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian war machine were absolutely running roughshod over the entire world. They were swallowing nations whole. And these guys were ruthless. I mean, they were, uh, as we would say, they were bad dudes. They would capture enemy kings and they would take the enemy kings and put them into a cage like an animal to mock them, to mock their authority and to display them in front of people and how great they were. They had no respect for the sovereign rule of a king over his nation. When they captured Judah, they conquered Judah, they lined up all of Zedekiah's sons right in front of him and they executed Zedekiah's sons right on the spot so he had to watch it and then they took and gouged out his eyes so that the last thing he ever saw was the murder of his sons. It was burned into his memory. I have four sons. I can't fathom that happening. But these are the ones that God is gonna raise up to punish Judah any of us would say, but wait a second, God, you, like we've sinned to this level, but God, you're going you're gonna to raise these people up who are far more wicked than us, and they're going to be the rod of chastisement and punishment for us? God, that doesn't make any sense. That's what Habakkuk says. He can't believe his ears in chapter one, verse 13. He says, but God, you're, you're holy. You're You're holy. Your eyes are too pure to even look upon evil. How can you tolerate their egregious sin and their rebellion against you, God? And you sit silently by and watch it all happen. That's what the prophet says to God. Those are strong words. I don't like it when my kids talk to me that way. That's the pattern of the whole book. It's a wrestling match. It's a wrestling match. The prophet makes a move with a complaint and God counters with a response. It's a wrestling match between the prophet and between God. And it's one of those responses I want us to look at today in chapter two and verse four. Three lessons I want you to see in this text, even though it's a few verses, that teach us how to live by faith. The first lesson is this. Living by faith means we learn to listen to God. Living by faith means we learn to listen to God. In verse 1, Habakkuk says, I'm going to climb up into the watchtower and wait for God's response. I want to see how he's going to answer my complaint. He's heard the bad news of chapter 1 and he determines, he sets his mind, just like Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, he sets his mind to say, I'm going up into the watchtower and I want to wait and I want to listen for God's reply. See, in Habakkuk's day, the, the watchtower was a place removed from the rest of city life. It was set apart. It was a physically distant place so that the noise and the din and the clamor of the world around him would be removed and he could hear the voice of God. He's intentionally preparing himself to listen to God. He's not going up to look out for the enemy. He already knows that's coming. He's going up to look out for what God will say in response. In the gospels, we see Jesus doing this all the time. We see him pulling away all the time, slipping off to a quiet place. How does he start his ministry? 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days out in the quiet, solitary place to pray is how he starts his ministry, prayer and fasting. And then if you go read Mark chapter one, he comes back for one day, real busy day of ministry. First day, humanly speaking, on the job as the Messiah. And as soon as that's finished, what does he do in Mark one thirty-five, It says he gets up early and he goes off to a quiet place again. He's constantly slipping away to tune his ears, his station into his father's voice. He wants to hear what his heavenly father is gonna say. And Habakkuk does the same thing. He climbs up into the watchtower to wait on God and to single out his voice from all the rest. Dane Ortland and... A comment on listening, he says in Genesis 3, humanity was plunged into decay. Humanity was plunged into decay because we failed to listen to God. The thing that landed Judah in this terrible spot that they're in with a wicked enemy hot on their trail is what? A failure to listen. What's bad is if you go read the Old Testament, God told his people this was gonna happen. He told him it was going to happen. In Deuteronomy 28 through 30, he said, if you obey, you will receive abundant blessings, lavish blessings, you can't hold them all. But he said, if you disobey, here's the curses you're going to have fall on your head. And he spelled them out in scary specific ways if you look at the Babylonian empire. And Judah still chose to rush off the edge of the cliff into God's judgment. How near are some of you perhaps in this room this morning from knowing that God has called you back from something and you want to rush off the edge of the cliff into God's judgment, not his eternal judgment if you're a follower in Christ, but his discipline. How near are some perhaps in this morning? How near have I been in my life to rushing off the edge, knowing that God was calling me back from something. And my flesh wants to slake its thirst and satiate its desires. The great need of your soul this morning is to hear the voice of God. If nothing else happens today and you hear God's voice speak to you and call out to you from his word, it has been a wonderful success. Don't go the way of Judah or Israel, listen and obey. You know, interestingly, the Hebrew phrase for obey is actually translated to listen to the voice of. Obey is translated to listen to the voice of in the Old Testament. Jesus said in the New Testament in John 10 that his sheep would know and hear and obey his voice. My sheep know my voice, they hear my voice, they obey my voice. In both covenants, old and new, hearing and obeying, run together. They're biblically inseparable. When you hear God's voice, the the, the expectation is that we will obey. I wonder what difference it would make this week if some of you in this place, if all of you in this place said, you know what, I'm gonna find a watchtower somewhere. Maybe it's a tree stand. (laughs) It's my favorite watchtower. I'm gonna climb up in a tree stand where the rest of the world can't get to me. I'm gonna go down in my basement. I've got a chair down in the corner. I'm gonna take a walk out by myself on the greenway, find a pine tree and sit down. Like what what if you found a watchtower where you could separate yourself and you could actually hear the voice of God over everything else? What difference would it make in your life? If you wanna walk by faith, you have to learn to listen to God, period, the end. The second lesson we learn is this. Living by faith means we learn to wait on God. Habakkuk has to learn to wait on God. We see it in verse two and three. Habakkuk, or God says rather to his watchman, write the vision down and make it plain. I love that. God is not a a God of confusion, is he? I love that. When Jesus preached in the new Testament, what did he talk about? He talked about seeds and he talked about rocks and he talked about dirt and he talked about food. He talked about simple things. He wanted to make it plain so there was no way you could misunderstand who he was and what he came to do. Anybody that tries to distort who Jesus was and what he came is a false teacher. And they want to divert you away from the path of salvation. Jesus made it plain and God says to it, I want you to make it plain so that he who runs may read it. That's weird. <laughs> like probably no one ran this morning, Right? If you did, you probably, you're still out of breath. What in the world does it mean? It could mean one of two things. It could mean that God's words need to be so plain and clear that a running messenger could shout it as he runs by the city. And you see a running messenger come and they shout it and you hear, and it's so simple and uncluttered that you know exactly what God is saying. Or it could mean make it so plain and clear that you can read it as you go racing by the billboard if you will. Think about the green interstate signs before GPSs, right? Like we actually use those things. They, they still, they're still up there if you're curious. But they are simple. They are uncluttered. When they are put there, they, they are, the vision of where you need to get is made plain. It is made clear. So you can get where you're supposed to go. See, God wants his people to know what he says so they can trust what he says because they're gonna have to wait on it. They're gonna have to wait on judgment so they gotta know it and they gotta trust it. Verse three says the vision is for a future appointed time. This vision is the vision of Babylon's judgment. It is for a future appointed time. God's judgment will come but they're gonna have to wait on it. And there's a good chance that Habakkuk will never see this thing happen in his lifetime. He doesn't know. But God says, even if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. Lamentations 3 the Bible says the Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse eight, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. God's not worried about kitchen timers. Right, He didn't operate inside of time. He's not in a snow globe like you and I are. You and I are tucked inside of a little snow globe called time. He's outside of it. The vision of God's judgment has a scheduled delivery date and it's going to arrive on Babylon's doorstep exactly when God intends it to. But who likes to wait? You like to wait? You don't like to wait, do you? We get cranked up if we can't get that pair of shoes on two-day prime shipping. <laughs> you mean I'm not going to have that pair of shoes for the wedding for the... But there's good stuff going on in the waiting room. There is good stuff going on in God's waiting room. Mark this down. God will not waste my waiting. God will not waste your waiting. Jesus showed up two days late on purpose from our perspective, from Mary and Martha's perspective. He did it on purpose so that when he showed up, all hope would be gone. Lazarus would be decaying. Everyone would have given up. And he could show up and he could reveal to them the glory of God through Lazarus' resurrection. If Jesus hadn't showed up late on purpose, the thing never would have happened. He did it because nobody else understood it, but he was gonna show them something about himself that they would never see otherwise. He never wastes our waiting when we're waiting on him. John Piper says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. Do you believe that? He says, you might, you might be able to see three of them. If you're waiting on God this morning for something, here's what I would say to you. You're exactly in the seat you need to be in. Number three, living by faith means trusting God from start to finish. It means we trust, this sounds so simple. Don't discard what I'm saying. This this is start to finish. We trust in God, we put our faith in him. Verse four is an interesting contrast between the arrogance of Babylon and the faith of the righteous. When it says his soul is puffed up, it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar was inflated. You remember what happened to him in Daniel, right? God brought him down. His soul was puffed up, it says. Actually, uh, it means he's bloated with pride. And his people were bloated with pride. But the faith of the righteous, they're different. There's a noticeable difference between a person who does not know God And a person who does. There ought to be, right? Babylon was bloated and swollen and puffy and distended with pride and wickedness and God compared their greed to death. See, death is constantly at work. Death doesn't worry about pandemics. It even operates in pandemics. It's constantly gathering up more victims. And God says, that's what Babylon is like. Continually victimizing innocent people Their glory was in their own strength. In fact, that's what Nate read for us in chapter 1, verse 11. It says their own strength was their God. Their strength was their glory and their God. But, verse 4b, the righteous shall live by faith. There is so much packed in here that it took three New Testament references to explain all the different implications of these seven letters in our English. This verse quoted in three New Testament books rocked Martin Luther's world and led him to kickstart the Protestant Reformation. Luther discovered in this verse that sinners do not become righteous before God by repeated religious rituals. He tried all that. He whipped himself. He climbed up a a holy staircase on his knees saying the our father prayer 28 times trying to get God's acceptance. None of it worked. And then he came across Habakkuk 2.4 in Romans 1 and Galatians 3 and Hebrews 10. And he discovered that we're justified before God by faith. In the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. What does that mean? It means this. We come to God by faith alone. There is nothing you can do to make yourself more acceptable to him except to say I'm weak and needy. I heard J.D. Greer say it like this. All you need is need. (laughs) All you need is need. There's an old hymn that says it differently. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. This is one of the most powerful verses in scripture because it cuts to the heart of the Christian gospel and it cuts to the heart of the Christian life. We come to God by grace through faith, but please hear me clearly. It is not a one-time event. Some people think, I, I checked that box. I walked that aisle. I said that prayer. I got dunked in that water. It is not a one-time event. It is not a one-time. Jesus did not say, go out and make a bunch of deciders. He said, Make disciples. A disciple is a student, a learner, a follower, an apprentice. We don't have a one-time event salvation. You come to God by faith and you continue every single day until he calls you home by faith in Jesus. We think to ourselves, I did that when I was a kid, but I'm good now. No, you're not. That's not how the Bible describes it. John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches, talking to people who are believers. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. No thing is what that word means. Nothing. Why did Babylon come crashing down? Because they exalted themselves. They trusted in themselves. They were their own God. They flexed in the mirror, and they were proud of themselves. And 60 years later, the whole thing came crashing to the ground. Cyrus and the Persians show up, Babylon's gone, like a sand castle.. Do you know what Hebrews tells us? Do you know what Hebrews tells us? Hebrews tells us, if we're in Christ, we're receiving a kingdom. That'll never be shaken. Did you hear me? We're receiving a kingdom that'll never be shaken. There are no elections in God's kingdom. Aren't you glad? There are no debates in his kingdom. There's nobody to debate with him. There are no voting booths. You will not cast a ballot for king. There is one king. There is one eternal kingdom. There are not two candidates slinging mud at the top for the top spot. There is one king and one kingdom. You come into that kingdom by faith and you continue in that kingdom by faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse seven, for we walk by faith and not by sight. See, I actually did not know Mylene was doing that kid's minute video. True story. I walked out in the hallway on Thursday Steve and Doug told me, oh, guess what? We just finished the Kids Minute video. Told me all about the video. I didn't, I didn't watch it for a while until I got home. I watched it with my wife. What Mylene didn't tell you, and I called her back and got her permission to share this, is that she's actually gone on two, two of the toughest hikes around here. They were tough for me. And she went with our college group in the summer and one in the fall. On two of the hardest hikes around here, the first we did was, was Rough Ridge. I think we're going to have a few pictures up here. Here's Mylene going down the trail at Rough Ridge with John Lachelle guiding her. Leave that there for a minute if you would. And John's guiding her and she's got her cane out and he's explaining, step to the right, take a step to the left, watch this big rock, here comes a root. And we got beat up. Man, that, that trail gets his name on, it's It's rough. We got beat up, we got bumped, we got bruised. I was God, John was God, her, Amber was God. I mean, like, it was awesome. But check out this next picture. This is Mylene up on the top of Rough Ridge. Second level, I think. And we just sat up there and I thought, man, like what tenacity, what grit for her to fight her way to the top up there with limited vision. We did this in the daylight. I want you to know she came back for a second hike. <laughs> She came back for a second hike and we went to the chimneys and I don't know if you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the chimneys. That's a hard hike. That's harder than Rough Ridge and we went to the chimneys at sunset and when the sun sets, it gets what? It gets dark. Check this out. Here's a couple of pictures from that night when our, our college group went out and hiked the chimneys. Leave that one there if you don't mind. We hiked out at sunset, smart college pastor that I am. I didn't think about bringing a flashlight because we were on our way back in the dark. Phone battery was worn down, you know, but I'm good because I have a, a ton of college students with phones and they had all the charge they need. We had plenty of flashlights, but when it gets dark back in there, it, it gets dark, real dark, dark, dark. And we're, we're walking back through the trail and I had Mylene on my right arm for probably about 80 or 90% of that hike. And I kid you not, I was sweating profusely. On the way back in the dark, I'm thinking I've got to guide her this whole way. How in the world am I going to do this? And I'm doing my best to describe Mylene. Take two steps to the left. All right, now there's a rock coming on your left. You're going to raise your left leg up about 10 inches. You're going to step up on that rock here. Come on, let's get up here. And she's just fighting through this thing. And about halfway through, I realized we're going back twice as fast as we made it out in the daylight. And I had a a girl up in front of us had the flashlight. She was shining on the trail so I could see and I'm holding Mylene here and we're moving around things. And I said, Mylene, I said, how in the world are we getting back in half the time that it took us to get out there? And in her characteristic fashion, she goes, easy. It's because now that it's dark, I can't see anything at all. I'm just trusting you to tell me where to go. I didn't know that she was doing the kids minute this week until after I had nearly finished my sermon. I rewrote the last part of it because I thought that's the book of Habakkuk. God, I can't see, I'm in the dark, I'm stumbling over things, but I'm trusting you, God, because not not I trust in myself, but I trust in your nature and your character and your word and your promises and I will trust you to tell me where to go. That's the book of Habakkuk right there. So Habakkuk, Finishes his book by bowing himself before the Lord. You can read it later in 3, uh, 16 through 19, I think. And he confesses his faith in spite of his fears. I wonder who would be set free this morning if you just bowed yourself before God in humility and said, Lord, I'm confessing my fears in spite, I'm confessing my faith in spite of my fears. I've still got fears. But Lord, I'm clinging to your promises. Habakkuk says, if everything in my world falls apart, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And then look what he says, the Lord, his name, the Lord, my Lord, he's my strength. Remember what Babylon said? I'm my strength. We read this and we think to ourselves, but how in the world could I ever say the same things? How could I I say that and how could I mean it? I don't wanna just say it, how could I mean it? That's fine for him, how do I get there? same way Habakkuk did, same way Paul did, the road they took home is the same road you need to get on by faith. You're you're not going to see all the answers. God doesn't give an explanation for everything he does. He gives a revelation in his word of himself to guide you home by faith. That's your light on the ground. He reveals more of himself through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's your flashlight. That's how you get back where you need to go. You remember the scene at the end of The Lord of the Rings? I try to work one of these in. My students know this every message if I can. You remember the scene at the end of The Lord of the Rings when the Ring of Power had been destroyed? Sam wakes up. He doesn't know Gandalf had been resurrected or whatever. He's surprised to see Gandalf and he says, I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead. Is everything sad now going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? The answer is yes. Yes. The empty tomb is a promise that a day is coming when all of the sad things of this broken world are going to work backwards and they're going to come untrue. And everything that we lost in the garden is going to be put together in the presence of God and all the sad things that you've had to carry, all of the traumas, all of the trials, all of the tragedies, everything you have carried because of the sin of this world, because of your sin, because of the enemy of your soul, God is going to do away with that because evil has a scheduled delivery, a scheduled appointment with God. And Revelation says, he will be our God He will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. That'll get you home.